the data can only tell you what the data is. It will never tell you why the data is. Only conversations can do that. You're listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. I'm Steve Gordon. For the first five years, this podcast was known as the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. The episode you're about to hear uses that name, but don't worry, you're in the right place. Same great content, new name. Enjoy. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and uh, you're in for a treat today. We've got an amazing interview, and this is particularly for the business owner who is interested in running a profitable business. Uh, so today I am talking with Marcel Pedapa. He is the CEO and co-founder at Parakeeto. They're a company dedicated to helping agencies measure and improve their profitability by really streamlining their operations and reporting systems. And, um, you know, he really found that that was the problem when he was running his own agency uh, a number of years ago. He's also the fractional CEO at uh, at Goldfront, they're an award-winning creative agency in San Francisco. They work with big brands like Uber, Slack, Keep, and a whole lot more. And uh, he's also the head strategic coach at uh, SAS Academy, which is uh, the creation of Dan Martell. So he's just doing all kinds of great things focused on helping you become more profitable. So if you run any kind of a service business, pay attention. Marcel has got some great stuff for you. Marcel, welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. Steve, thanks for having me, man. It's great to be here. Yeah, you're doing, I don't know how you're involved in three different businesses. Most people can barely keep up with one. Uh, yeah, the short answer is I don't believe in free time and my calendar reflects that. So um, yeah, no, there is no such thing as free time. If I'm relaxing, it's because it's scheduled. If I'm with my family, it's because it's scheduled. And if I'm working, which I do probably too much, it's because it's tightly, tightly scheduled. So that's the short answer to that question. All right. So, so no free time, but lots of profitability. So how, how did you kind of get to the stage? I mean, it was alluded to, and you know, the way that I introduced you there, you had an agency at one point and really discovered that this was a problem, but how did you get to this stage? Yeah, um, it's a great question. As you mentioned, my first business ever was a service business, an agency, and we were doing virtual tours for real estate agents um, back before you could do that using your cell phone um, for pennies on the dollar. And uh, it was a short-lived experience because we ran into this very issue of trying to get a business that had economics that could scale such that I didn't have to be the person that went into the house and took the photos and stitched them together and created the tours. And very early on in that business, I kind of realized that we didn't have economics economics at that time that would scale. And part of that was, if you recall, like almost a decade ago, the, the housing market was very different. It was very much a buyer's market, not a seller's market. Houses were sitting for a long time. So for all kinds of reasons, I couldn't get real estate agents to pay me the amount of money that I needed to have the right margins. But in that experience, I came to the realization that answering questions that seem really simple as a small agency owner, is actually really tough. Stuff like, are we charging enough? Are we scoping things accurately? If uh, we do get more work, when can we take it on? Do we need to hire somebody? When does that happen? And that's, you know, of course, a constant moving target. What if we do get this client? What if we don't? What if we do hire this person? What if this person quits? So modeling all of these things is simple, but not easy. And the rate of change has gotten a lot faster. The ecosystem around tools has just gone insane over the last decade. So there's a lot of complexity. And um, when a friend of mine who runs a, a software development firm out of Boise called me up one day and said, 
dude, we, we spend like a day a week in spreadsheets trying to answer these questions. There has to be a better way to do this. I resonated immediately with that thesis. And we, we kind of went down the path of saying, how do we solve this or, or make it easier for the, the person that I used to be in that, that he still is today running kind of a boutique agency. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge issue. Um, you know, having built two service businesses, I, I spend a tremendous amount of time on that. Probably not as much as I should actually, you know, but it feels still like a lot of time mm. just trying to figure out what's true. And um, I, I'm curious for your take on what what really causes the difficulty with that problem. What's Is there a yeah. root cause that makes this so hard? Yeah, there, there's to, from our perspective, there's three things that you really need to have in a modern data operations system in order for it to work for an agency in 2022. And a part of our thesis on why we exist and why we structured our service offering in a way that I mean, we've never seen before, as far as we know, we're the only people doing what we do is because the industry has shifted a lot as well. And a lot of the tools and thinking around how to measure an agency are kind of stuck in 20 to 30 years ago when it was kind of all mostly time materials, billing models, mostly the finance team responsible for measuring the business. And now we've entered into a world where there's a lot of different pricing models happening inside of agencies, a lot more value-based, flat rate retainers, a huge mix of different staffing that might be occurring on a single project, a mix of contractors, freelancers, white label. And then you also have the complexity of your data is probably spread out across four or five different tools between your project management, your accounting, your time tracking, your resource planning. So there's a lot of complexity. And what we generally need as an agency is more timely and more specific insights. And if you think about like what it would cost to try and get profitability by I don't know, milestone within a project, within a client in your accounting tool. It's just an insane amount of complexity because now all your invoicing, your payroll, your expenses all have to get kept in that way. And you're still not going to see it until three weeks after the month is done looking backwards. So it just kind of doesn't work. So when you think about, okay, we now need to start relying on non-financial data to give us information about how the business is performing, what needs to be true about that. And you, you have to have the right strategy. That's the first place that people fall down, knowing what to measure. There's tons of different metrics out there, but how do you measure the really, in my opinion, two to four metrics that you can run the whole business off of that give you, you know, it's the 20% of the numbers that give you 80% of the visibility. So what do we measure? Second is how do we measure it? Are we, where are we going to get the data? What tools are we going to use to collect it? Right. What's the, the tactical of how we get that stuff together. And then level three on strategy is why, why are we measuring this? What questions does it help us answer? Do we understand why we are where we are, why it goes up, why it goes down and what we can do to influence it? Do we have mastery over the numbers? So there's kind of three levels to strategy. And then once you understand the strategy, there's the actual system for the metrics. And the first thing where people start to fall down is the definitions, right? What is gross margin? What exactly is that? When you start double clicking on, well, what's a pass-through cost versus a delivery expense? And what is COGS? And where do we allocate this person's salary? And what about this software that we bill back to the client? So there's nuances to all of these metrics. Utilization is another great one where we ask 10 different people what exactly utilization is. And at, on the surface, it seems like they all agree. And then you're like, well, what exactly is somebody's capacity? And what does it include and not include? And what about holidays and paid time off and non-billable time? And what exactly is a billable hour? And does it change if you bill by the hour or if it's a flat rate project? So the nuances matter. And we've got to have clear definitions that are aligned that everybody's on the same page. Then we have to have the tools and the schema that make the data available that we need to answer a question. So it's great to say, yeah, I want to know my utilization by department 
and then by role category. But if you don't have a department or a role category on a time entry as metadata, then that report cannot be run. You don't have the data available. So are your tools capable of structuring data in the way that offers that insight? And then finally, once you get the data, can you transform it into something that you can look at that actually helps you get the insight, a, a chart, a table, a visualization of some kind, right? What's the reporting framework that that data is then transformed into to facilitate decision-making? And then there's the third piece, and this is where a lot of people also fall down is the process because measuring the business is a process, not an event. I think far too often we treat it like an event, but the reality is we need to at level one on process, collect data consistently, right? Is the team getting their time in? Are they following the naming convention? Do they use the correct objects in the time tracking tool to capture things like which client or which project or which task this thing was logged on? And then do you have a configuration process for catching errors in the data, missing data, stitching together information from your time tracking and your project management and your finance so you have everything you need? And then do you have a cadence by which you sit down and look at these reports with the right stakeholders and the right agendas so that it's actually making a difference and informing conversations? So between the strategy, the metrics, and the process, there's a lot of places where people fall down, but that's kind of the core of, you know, getting this thing right. So it's not only offering you good insights, but doing it over a long time horizon, which is where you get the compounding returns from measuring the business, as you know. And it's about at this point where I would imagine that 80% of the people go, all right, enough, I give up. I'm not, I'm not going to mess with this. It's too complicated because that what, what you just shared there is not, it's not a simple thing to, to go and create. Um, and, you know, and I've got some experience with this. My first business was a, a engineering consulting firm. And, um, and so we had kind of the industry standard software package that it tracked all the time and the expenses and logged everything to the project and the milestone and the type of team member and all of that stuff. And it was, it was really great. And at the same time, it was so maddening to try and keep on top of just the data collection piece to get it accurate yeah. and then go in and you know a lot of these systems uh, particularly if you've got an industry specific system and i know there's a bunch of them out there they're out there for like every discipline in the <laughs> service business you know attorneys have them doctors have them consultants have them uh, agencies i mean they're out there and then to get the they make some assumptions about what you want to see and, and so to actually get what you really want out yeah. um, is often just painful. So um, let's just assume for a minute that everybody listening has kind of thrown their hands up and gone, that's <laughs> way too much work. What do I do instead? Like, how do you begin to approach this and simplify it so that yeah. you know, people can, can really wrap their heads around it? Because it's a daunting process. And simplification, I think, is the key word. Um, you'd be amazed at how much time we spend in our engagements with clients trying to get them to simplify their objectives for measurement. And the most common problem that we see when we do our initial um, engagement, which is an audit, and we start going into their time tracking and project management tools and having a look at what's going on, is people try to track everything and end up tracking nothing as a result. There's too much complexity, right? And as you know, it's it's great and and wonderful to have ways to track tasks and deliverables and milestones, but simple thing like if the same task is called a different thing on every project, then you're not getting horizontal insight. So simplification is the first step and really ask yourself like, what is the 20% of information that would give you 80% of what you need to know to inform conversations? And there's a key thing that we say at Parakeeto all the time, which is the data can only tell you what the data is. 
it will never tell you why the data is. Only conversations can do that. And I think the slippery slope that we fall down as entrepreneurs is trying to get our data to a point where it infers reasoning. And it's a very dangerous place to go. And we try to get very detailed and precise and measure like really nuanced things when really what we should be asking our data to do is surface areas of the business where there's smoke. So we can go and have a conversation to discover if there's a fire and what to do about it. That's really what the data is about. As you scale and you can't focus on everything, prioritizing what to focus on by identifying outliers, things that are going way better than you planned. So you can reverse engineer that into the rest of the business and things that are going way worse than you planned. So you can go and mitigate losses where they're most pronounced. So a practical example of that is sitting back, right? First thing you would probably want to do is think about when I'm scoping a project or putting an estimate together for a project with a client, how do I think about grouping time together, right? And what are those objects? So simple example, I've got a client, that client has hired me to do a project. Within that project, we have three milestones. And within those milestones, we have five different categories that we put time into that are based on rules. Design time, copywriting time, strategy time, quality assurance time, et cetera. Now go into your time tracking tool, and just make sure that you can track the same exact objects on a time entry, right? So the thing we see all the time is the estimate says roles, and then the time tracking tool is like a billion tasks, and we don't know which role any of them were for. Or the people's roles don't map to the thing on the estimate. So now you want to answer the most fundamental question, which is, was our estimate accurate or not? You have to spend you know two, three hours cleaning up that data, figuring out what role category it belongs to. And that's the reason you probably don't spend enough time looking at these reports because you don't have three hours to do this because you got a billion other client things to do, right? There's too much friction. So that's the, the first thing that you could do as an agency owner is just look at like, what is the way that we estimate time? And are we tracking time in a way that is similar? And that will get rid of a lot of the friction that I think you feel initially around just trying to get some basic insight out of your data. It's all, I'll pause there for a moment, but we can talk a little bit too about like metrics and what the kind of two or three metrics are that you should actually be looking well, at. Well, yeah, you, you, you read my mind. That was my next question. You mentioned two, two to four metrics. So, yeah. I, I, you know, this is, this is sort of the unfair question. So what are the two to four metrics, right? Uh, because yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure they're probably not exactly the same for every business, but I would imagine you see some trends. In order to really identify the, the key metrics for an agency, the, the first thing we got to understand is how does an agency make money? And it, the first thing we want to be able to identify is what is our agency gross income? So that really just happens by subtracting out any of the money that we collect that doesn't really belong to us and goes to third-party vendors. So advertising spend, print budgets, white label partners, right? Money that we're not responsible for the profitability of, we want to strip that out. And that gets us to our agency gross income, which is the true revenue for our business. And that's the thing that we want to use as the basis for really measuring our efficiency and our spending, because that's truly the, the size of our business. So once we've done that, then what we want to identify is our delivery cost, which is what does it cost us to earn that revenue, right? So if, if you've ever done accrual accounting for an agency, you know that if a client gives me $50,000 for a website upfront, but I haven't built the website yet, that's not cash money that I like, that's not really revenue, that's deferred income. It goes on the balance sheet. It's actually kind of a liability and we move it to the profit and loss statement and we move it into our bank account by actually building the website and then giving it to the client and having the client say, yeah, this is great. Uh, you know, you've, con you've delivered the contractually obliged deliverables to me. Now we've earned that revenue. Now, of course, the cost of that is mostly the time it takes us to do it. 
So what we want to be able to do is isolate the amount of payroll and then usually anywhere from two to 6% of our income goes to software tools, um, stock footage libraries, right? Some of the things that your team uses, the tools in their toolbox to do their job. So Figma, Adobe Creative Cloud, these are all common examples that we'll see. So we want to isolate that. That's our delivery cost. After that, you have the overhead of running the business, paying for lawyers, accountants, um, administrative salaries, sales and marketing salaries, rent facilities, et cetera. That's usually going to be anywhere from 20 to 30% of your revenue going to that. And that is rarely where we see service businesses have a profitability problem. They tend to be pretty frugal, pretty fiscally responsible when it comes to managing their overhead. The problem comes generally where they're spending too much money to earn a dollar of revenue. When a client says, I need you to build me a website, they spend more money getting that website done than they should. And then there's just not enough meat on the bone left to pay for the overhead and still have a profit left over. So the first and most important metric that everyone should know inside and out in their business, that out of 10 agencies that we look at their financials on a monthly basis, maybe one of them can actually see this correctly. It's called delivery margin. You might call it gross margin or contribution margin. We invented our own word because we were sick and tired of arguing with accountants over the semantics of what we call this thing because it really doesn't matter. The important thing is you need to know what does it cost you to earn a dollar of revenue and what is left over for every dollar that a client gives you once you're finished delivering things to them. So delivery margin is the ability. And we should be able to, on the profit and loss statement, get to a 50% delivery margin or higher, which means we never want to spend more than 50 cents to earn a dollar of revenue. Generally, what that means is that when we price out projects and we measure profitability at a project level, we want to be closer to 60 or 70% delivery margin. So we have room to absorb utilization gaps and other things like that, inefficiencies, and still end up at that 50% on the P&L. Then you think about it, I spend 25, 30% on overhead. I've still got 20, 25, 30% left over as a profit margin. I've got a healthy business. So delivery margin is kind of the key metric. And then there's just three ways that you influence delivery margin and move it up and down. So I can talk about those three levers uh, if you'd like as well. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I mean, I'm sure everybody's sitting here thinking, oh, this is great. Uh, I'm, I might not be at that point. So how do I improve You know, from where yeah. I am now? Exactly. So, and by the way, I can share some links to blog posts that we've written that go into all the details on how to calculate these things. And we've got some resources in the toolkit as well. But when you think about the formula for delivery margin, really what it is, it's AGI minus delivery cost divided by AGI. So there's two levers that you can pull. You can increase the amount of income that your company makes without increasing the cost of labor or increasing the, the number of people you have on your team, or you can decrease the cost of that team while maintaining the same revenue number. So that first one is obvious. That's your average cost per hour. On average, what does it cost you to get an hour of work done? And that really comes down to what you pay your people. The easiest way to lower that cost is to improve your processes streamline your, your systems so that it requires less judgment. Less judgment typically means less experience. Less experience typically means less cost. So that's kind of a longer term play. And it comes from really maturing your service offerings, getting more clear about what you do and how you do it. And that allows you to start taking things that maybe only you could do as the owner, or maybe a senior person could do and start delegating that to more and more junior people. And by doing so, you can in aggregate, lower the cost of the team that's required to earn a certain amount of revenue by completing certain types of deliverables for clients. So that's the first simplest, simple, but not easy way to increase your delivery margin is focus on decreasing your cost. 
The more interesting one, which I want to spend more time talking about is how do you get the same people that you currently have on your team to earn more revenue without changing you know, their job, without changing how many hours they work, et cetera? There's two ways to do that. The first one is increasing your average billable rate. So for every hour that they do spend doing stuff for clients, how much revenue does that earn on average? The formula for average billable rate is revenue divided by hours. So the first lever there is charge more money for the same stuff, right? Again, simple, not always easy, but probably something you should be looking at doing a price increase. But the flip side of that is how do we get the same thing done in less time? Can you invest in software? Can you invest in a new process? Can you create templates, right? That take the time required to do something and decrease it. And by doing that, you can at scale, again, do twice as many of those things with the same amount of capacity. So if you have a person that works, let's say 25 billable hours a week, and it takes them 25 hours to do a deliverable that you sell for 10 grand, that person can earn 10 grand a week worth of revenue for your business. If you find a way to cut that time in half, they can now earn twice as much money, $20,000 a week. Your profitability has objectively doubled because you're selling an hour of time for twice the amount of value. So average billable rate is the first way to increase that. Then the second side of that equation is utilization. Of all the hours that you have available to you, on average, how many of them are spent moving revenue from deferred revenue into your bank account? So getting stuff done for clients. And that's really a question of trying to figure out, do I have the right team balance? Can I get a more consistent flow of work that matches my capacity? So it comes down to resource forecasting, capacity forecasting. And it's really about making sure that you can get to usually between 50 and 60% utilization on an annual basis. If your utilization is low, there's two ways to correct it. You either lower your capacity, which is like a, a really, <laughs> really corporate way of saying you have to lay people off and that sucks, or you sell more work. The biggest mistake I see people make is they get obsessed with utilization and they go, okay, we need to increase our utilization. So they start telling their team, hey, I need you to hit this utilization target. The team just starts spending more hours doing the same work they had to do before. What is that going to do based on the thing we just talked about? Just going to lower your average billable rate. Your profitability doesn't improve when you do that. So the only way to increase utilization, actually have it improve the business is to give the team more work to do. So those hours are earning new revenue for you. So between those two levers, you can have a substantial impact on a business. So just to kind of run through a really practical example, a team of five people has about 10,000 hours roughly of capacity in a year. If they are 50% utilized at $100 an hour, average billable rate, they can earn a half a million dollars in a given time period. If we increase their average billable rate to $125, let's do the math on that. You're selling 5,000 hours at 125, you now can earn $625,000 with that same team. Nothing has changed about the business at this point based on the set of assumptions. We're not paying them anymore. We're not necessarily spending more on overhead. The only thing that's changed is that we're now making an extra $125,000 with that same team. That presumably goes straight to the bottom line. And if we increase their utilization to 60% while maintaining that 125 ABR, they're now making $750,000. So you can see that the, these very small changes in these two metrics are massive levers for improving the amount of revenue that a team earns without changing their costs. And that in turn leads to better delivery margin and ultimately gives you way more resources to make the business profitable. So imagine like it's a $250,000 difference, 50% of the original number of 500K, that could be the difference between you being in the red and being highly profitable. So these things matter. And I really believe that 
just paying attention to utilization and average billable rate, you could run the whole business off of those two numbers. As long as you're hitting your targets, there's a really good chance that on the profit and loss statement, you're going to be profitable. So delivery margin, and then the three things that influence it. If you pay attention to those things, you're getting 80% of the visibility with 20% of the work. And that's what I would implore everybody to pay attention to. So when you look at something like average billable rate, are you taking sort of all of the hours worked in the business, regardless of whether the person is mm. directly client facing or, you know, like, what do you do with the person who's answering the phones who hard to yeah. do, hard to attribute them to a specific project? Yeah. How do you, Great. how do you think about those sorts of little nuances? Great question. So we define this as delivery hours. And we use, most people would call this a billable hour. And maybe our definition of delivery hours is the same as a billable hour, but billable hours are misleading if you have a component of your business that has to do with hourly billing, because it implies that it matters if the client was billed for the time, air quotes. And really it doesn't. Um, so delivery hours is defined as any time spent moving client projects forward. So that's the time that we want to count in this. So if we're looking at a project, of course, we're looking at how much AGI do we collect for this project and then how many hours were required to complete it for the client. And where there's nuance here is if it's a billable project, air quote, or it's a time and materials project, maybe we only build the client for 100 hours, but it actually took us 130 to get it done. Our average billable rate should be based on the 130, not the 100. Right? The 100 is just semantics. It's, it's like, how did we decide how much to ask the client for? But the reality is it took us 130 to complete this. So that's what we want to count. When we zoom out and look at time periods, we still want to only look at delivery hours, but we're, we're of course zooming out and looking at a broader time horizon for that. Um, so this is where utilization similarly is based on delivery hours. So you might have 2,080 hours of somebody's capacity in a year. That's 40 times 52. But after they take vacation and holidays and paid time off and then do all the internal stuff, sit in internal meetings, all that other good stuff, they might only have 1,200 delivery hours in a year. So their utilization would be you know, uh, 1,200 divided by 2080, which in this case is... 57.6%. So that's how you would calculate utilization. And you want to use the same definition of uh, an, a delivery hour, as we call it, or a billable hour, if you want to call it that for average billable rate as well. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so there is that distinction between, are you working, moving a, pro a client project forward or doing something internal that would be considered overhead? Correct. And, and so you've, you're armed with these two numbers. And if I'm the the leader and I'm looking at these numbers and I go, okay, great. Well, I have these two, two levers to pull. What do I, it's Monday morning. What do I do Monday afternoon to make a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we talked a little bit about the levers, but the two of the ways that I like to look at this is uh, we'll start with average billable rate. One of the most powerful reports that you can run for yourself and for your team is looking at average billable rate and then slicing that in meaningful segments for you. So maybe you'll look at this by client or maybe you'll look at this by project, or maybe you'll look at this by service offering or by department. And then you start to identify outliers. Hey, here's a client that our planned average billable rate when we sold them the project was $150 an hour, but we're making $280 an hour. It took us like almost half as much time as we thought to get the deliverables done. And the client's thrilled. Let's go talk to the team about that. What did we do here? What can we learn from this? Can we reverse engineer that 
outcome into the way that we do this for other clients. And then similarly, here's you know a service offering that consistently our average billable rate is below everything else. It's below what we planned. What's going on here? Let's go ask the team, like, what are we missing? Are we not scoping this right? Is there something we're not asking the client when we're onboarding them that we should? Is there a part of our process that's clunky that we need to figure out? That can guide such powerful conversations that over time allows you to actually implement the, the changes on the ground floor that again, two things that we can do to improve that number, charge more money for the thing that is not performing well, or find a way to spend less time to get it done. And that should start moving those numbers in the right direction. And then around utilization, um, two common issues that we see with utilization. Number one, it's just too low. And usually that has to do with, we didn't resource plan properly, we're overstaffed in a given area. And then the other thing that we sometimes see is load balancing issues where a department is well utilized, but there's one person that's like 110% utilized and then another person that's like 30%. So clearly there's a gap there where we're not spreading work out efficiently. Maybe there's some skill set silos going on where there's only one person that knows how to do a given thing, or we haven't really documented the process that well, so it can't be moved around. So again, double click on where you're seeing outliers and then go have conversations about that stuff with the team and sit on the same side of the table with them and don't be prescriptive, right? But be curious. Hey, what's what can we learn from this? What what can we do collectively to get to this level where we need to be for for, you know, everybody to keep their jobs, for us to be profitable, for you to get your bonus, for the business to work, for the clients to be happy, etc. And the actions that you take will come out of that. But the lever is again very simple. Average billable rate, charge more money, spend less time, utilization, lower your capacity or increase the amount of work that that team has to do. That's really how you move those numbers. Yeah, and you know, to to your earlier point about everyone wanting to take these numbers down to the level where they actually give you the answer, I think that's where my brain went as well. I want it to be that easy, but I think mm. what I'm gaining from this is that you use the you take the numbers and use them as a measure of direction and trend, and when trend is outside of whatever your acceptable range is, and you get to decide that. You know, or if it's just simply it's inside the acceptable range, but moving in the wrong direction, you now can use that information and armed with that, go begin asking questions. And so right. if I'm sitting there looking at the numbers Monday morning, my Monday afternoon activity is go ask questions. That's right. Have conversations. Again, the numbers cannot tell you why they can only tell you what they are. Um, and I, and yeah, I think that that's, that's like the big takeaway and, and that's why metrics are important. They create scale because they help empower people to have those conversations, make judgment calls, and it helps scale decision-making so that you don't have to have all the context on everything that's going on to still stay on top of the things that are most important. And I think that ultimately should be the goal of your reporting system is allowing you to see the forest from the trees without knowing what's going on at every single tree. So I'm curious, you know, as you work with, you know, with a business owner to put these things in place and you begin tracking the data and you I would imagine there, well, I'm not going to assume, I want you to lay out like what, what is the time horizon for actually beginning to put them to use is, you know, are, are there a series of stages yeah. where you're getting benchmarks and moving through and then taking action? How does that, how does that roll? Um, of course, it's going to depend on a number of factors. In some cases, clients have been tracking data historically and we're able to clean it up and get it aligned to a certain data schema and retroactively unlock insights that were in the data, but they just wasn't structured to offer those before. Assuming that we're kind of starting from scratch and we're having to track fresh data, 
the answer to your question comes down to the rate of change in the project life cycles that they run. So if you're doing three-day turnaround, uh, like really quick deliverables, I mean, within a couple of weeks, you might start getting really great insights about project level trends, profitability. Um, in terms of I'm tracking cadence, that's another big factor that will Im imply like how quickly can you get utilization insights? So if your team tracks their time every single day, within a couple of days, you can start to get an understanding of what's going on. But if your team waits till the end of the month, you've got to wait at least a month to start getting insights. So for utilization, usually um, two months is enough to start seeing a trend and a pattern. Um, it's a fairly retroactive thing. And then for projects, again, it, it really comes down to, are your projects six months long? Are they 12 months long? Or do they last a week or two weeks? And that's really going to throttle your historical insights. Now, the thing that's really interesting about this is once we structure this data properly, we can unlock immediately one of the most important insights, which is forecasting. Because the forecasting doesn't rely on any historical data. It only relies on our ability to make assumptions about client work going forward. And when we structure this data properly, if I know how much work we have currently going on, and then I have a couple of projects that I'm thinking, oh, we might close these, we might add these to the roster, or I have a couple people that I think, oh, we might hire these people and add them to the roster. I can now model that stuff anytime that I want because the way that I think about time in a project is the same as the way I think about the time that people bring to my business. And I can just start to layer those things on top of each other and forecast. So that's an insight that gets unlocked immediately, even throughout the process of developing the framework for this with the company and often is the most valuable insight that they're going to get. Because I find that especially as you get larger in a service business, more and more of your time as an executive team is spent trying to think out ahead of your needs in terms of people as it relates to projects and pipeline. And, and I find that it's just like more and more of your conversations are happening around that level. Yeah. And it's, it's incredibly hard to predict. I mean, a lot can change the, particularly for a firm that's making the shift from being, you know, that small five or 10 person firm, and they're starting to, to accelerate. And, um, you know, if you're doing larger engagements, if you get it, all of a sudden you need a lot of resources. And if you don't, you don't need those resources. And so it can be maddening to sort of predict that. And, and, yeah. and you know, and, and being able to inform that decision-making is I, I think a real advantage because, you know, you can get yourself into um, a real difficult position. And I've actually found that the difficult position isn't so much that you've overhired. It's almost always the opposite that you went and got a, a big engagement with a client that, you know, could end up being a, a very valuable client along in the long haul. And now you're scrambling to try and put the team together to do it. And you're in the process just about killing the existing team, you know, but being able to forecast and kind of see where, you know, accurately where, where the utilization is immediately is, is I think, and, you know, just knowing that really informs where you're going to go forward. It does. And, and I think that's where what we've heard from clients is it's where the business shifts from feeling like it's happening to them to starting to feel more like it's happening for them. Um, mm -hmm. But prior to that point, it's, yeah, it always kind of feels like work, like getting new work is like a bad, ends up being a bad feeling, especially when you're going fast because of all the problems that you just kind of described. It's like, I, I'm, I'm not like, I'm excited that we closed the work, but now I have all this pain that I have to deal with trying to source it. Um, but if you can see ahead of that, you can start to make decisions about like, well, is that enough for a full-time hire? Could I just go get some elastic capacity if there's a high degree of risk around whether or not we're going to close it? Like all of those decisions are, are much better informed. Yeah, for sure.
this is all amazing stuff. We could probably go on for hours. I, I mean, I, I, I'm just enough of a geek to really want to dive into the, these things. But I, I love the the overall message is that you're really looking for the two to four numbers that can really tell you what's going on and then use those to inform where you need to go have conversations in the business to figure out what's actually happening. I think that's, to me, that's the the best message coming out of our conversation today is that uh, for a lot of business owners, I find they, they tend to fall into two categories. They're, the vast majority aren't tracking nearly anything and they're just sort of hoping that it works out and they fly by the seat of their pants and, and that creates a lot of chaos in the business. And on the other end, they're tracking nearly everything and haven't figured out how to put any of it to use. Um, and that's probably the 20%. Very few, I think, get it right. And you, you've got a, a clear vision of how to get this right inside of a service business, which is powerful. So Marcel, where, where can people find out more about you and Parakeeto if, if they're an agency? Do you work exclusively with uh, marketing agencies or with any other kinds of businesses? Yeah, our, our focus and expertise is really on agencies, primarily digital media and more communications kind of related services. But if you're interested in learning more about what we do and, and kind of really validating if our thesis aligns to your business, then I think the first place I'd encourage everybody to go is parakeeto.com forward slash toolkit, where we've got this free toolkit that we put together. It includes training videos, spreadsheet templates that you can use to like look at your business through our lens, um, cheat sheets, all kinds of other things. Uh, so feel free to go grab that. It's absolutely free. If you want to consume more content around this topic, we've got tons of blog posts and podcast episodes at parakeeto.com. Um, and if you want to connect with me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best spot. And I'm wearing a shirt with birds on it. I'm not, I'm not hard to spot. You're always in brand. <laughs> so uh, we'll link all that up in the show notes. We'll link to your uh, LinkedIn profile and to the toolkit and, and uh, to the, the website. You guys have great content on the website. So I encourage everybody to go check that out. And uh, I really am, am grateful that you've invested some time with us today. I think these are important topics, particularly for, uh, you know, we're, as we're recording this, we're nearing the end of the year. Everybody's starting to think about, you know, how, how do I be, be more profitable than I was, uh, you know, this past year? How do I make next year better? So this is a great topic. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Authority Builder Podcast. Here are three ways you can expand your authority. Number one, get a copy of the Million Dollar Book. In it, I show you how to multiply your authority by writing a best-selling book in less than 90 days guaranteed. After all, you're the best spokesperson for your ideas. Go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash book and get your copy. Number two, join me for an upcoming Write Your Million Dollar Book Accelerator and let's jumpstart your authority building book now. For upcoming dates, go to authoritybuilderpodcast.com slash accelerator. And number three, work with me and my team to get your book done and bringing in business. Email me at steve at authoritybuilderpodcast.com and put, I want to write a book in the subject line. See you soon.